Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. Joining me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Matt Ganaway. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's really exciting. You have a new book out in stores now called The Darkness Lies. Matt, I read about this. It sounds really fascinating. Can you tell me what readers can expect here? If the story unfolds, it's about six total strangers who all have these dark pasts in their lives, whether it's something that they've done or whether it's something that's happened to them. And they've been carrying these burdens for years. They've been asking these questions for years. And one particular character asks, where was God when all this was happening to him? And all of a sudden, this one, one day, they all receive a mysterious invitation. They never have a sender information on it. There's no name or any kind of contact information. All it has is an address to an old mysterious mansion that they thought was abandoned. Hmm. So, of course, they're really curious about it. They're really skeptical and decided, I'm not going, it's too dangerous, you know. But as the events throughout the week unfold, they keep having visions and dreams of these paths. So all of a sudden they decided, you know, it wouldn't hurt to at least just check it out. And if things don't look good, we can just leave, you know. They make it to the mansion and it's totally abandoned. And as they're sitting there, they realize there's no one coming. Hmm. So as they get up to leave, they realize that the door is locked. You know, they're trapped inside the mansion. The windows won't bust. The, the cell phones won't work. So they can't call for help. So they're really at the mercy of whoever or whatever is leaning inside the mansion. Mm. So as they go from room to room, they realize that there is a force inside there that's trapped them inside, and it's bringing out their past to haunt them. The main point of the force is destruction. That's the end goal. You know, they feel this sort of guilt and shame and condemnation that's washing over them that they didn't feel even when these things were happening to them or when they were causing these things. I got a little bit of inspiration from, from this. About six years ago, I had a friend, I talked to a friend from church. He was talking about how he went up for prayer and the minister prayed for him about something in, in, that happened in his life. I can't remember what it was, but something really dark had happened. And he asked the question, where was God when all this was going on? Hmm. I won't tell you what the minister said because I would give away the ending to the book. <laughs> but I've been writing since I was little, you know, mm. off and on. Just doing stories. I was influenced by a lot of writers like Bill Myers, Ted Decker, Frank Peretti. And it's about two years before I started writing this book. I tried to write another book. I started another book, and it just wasn't t- coming together. So I just completely abandoned that project. And then when this happened, I was just thinking to myself, or I guess a good year or two, this would be an awesome book. I had the ending playing over and over in my head for a long time. And I really can't remember how it got to be that it's going to be about an abandoned mansion with six total strangers trapped inside. I really can't remember how that came to be. Hmm. I do what I like to call mapping out the book first. You know, what I mean by that is I just write up the major events that are going to take place throughout the book and 
the different characters, the different personalities, you know, the different backgrounds. And of course, as you know, all that changes as you write the book. It's mm-hmm. not even recognizable a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> so is this the first time you've been published then, man? Yes, it is. It's the first time I've been published. Congratulations. Thank you. What was it like that moment that you got the first one in? You got to actually hold this thing for the first time and your name's on the cover. It had to be crazy. It was. It was surreal. I, mean, I, I just I always pictured it, how it would go. It just it didn't hit me, really. You know, I had the book in my hand. I remember my wife texted me. I was at work, and she texted me to the book. And so I, I rushed home. I held it out in my hand, and I just, I just couldn't believe it. Really. <laughs> until it didn't really hit me until, oh, man, probably two or three weeks later, mm. I guess, that it was, it was happening. Mm. Now, based on all your experiences, you know, publishing for the first time can be quite the learning experience. So what advice could you give to the people listening who are the aspiring authors, Matt? Don't quit. Everyone wants to write a book, but they don't want to finish it. That's what a lot of them run into. They're like, yeah, I want to write this book. And then they get a few pages done and then just throw it away. So don't quit. Don't quit. Well, if you're a reader that wants a really great story, but you also want some meat, some really good spiritual stuff down in there, too then check this book out. It's called The Darkness Lies. It's written by Matt Ganaway, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can find it anywhere. So go on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes or down the street, your local bookshop, and you'll find this book there. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show and telling me all about this book. I, I hope we get to talk again soon. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Salvation, A Call to Unity. That's the name of the new book in stores right now. It's written by Gerald R. Wessels. And we're going to talk all about this book right here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Gerald is joining me now. Gerald, welcome. Thank you for being here. And thank you for having me here. It's my pleasure. It's exciting. Salvation, A Call to Unity is out there for everyone now. Gerald, can you tell me what readers will find when they open this up? Well, the first thing, it is not an easy read. I'll just simply say that up front. There's a lot of scriptural reference in it. Even some of the pastors that I've talked to who've read the book, they'll have to go back and read and reread the passages to get the complete meaning each time. Mm. So if you're looking for a light read, this book is not for you. However, I believe it's a very important book, and I believe the information in it is even more important. Mm. How are you inspired to write this book? What, what gave you the inspiration to sit down and start it? Well, the actual concept started over 20 years ago. Hmm. At that point in time, actually what I was going to do is I was going to write a, another quote-unquote book on theology, which we don't really need. <laughs> I found out since that point in time that theology originally started off as the study of God, and then it kind of broke down into a, a situation about what man's opinion is about God. Hmm. My problem with this was is how can a relatively finite man understand an infinite God? And so with that, I went back into the scriptures, and of course, as you well know, there are many denominations and many different beliefs out there, especially even just within Christianity, and that made no sense to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there's one God and, there, and if the Bible is talking about that same God, it seems like everyone should be you know, more or less on the same page. So that's what got me started into the study of the different theologies and comparing them and their beliefs to what God's Word actually says. 
And so what I tried to do, because my goal was, is to bring unity to the body of Christ, I tried to go through and I went into some pretty, uh, I don't want to say this, delicate theologies that many people stand for. And I was trying to show it's not my opinion that counts, it's how their theology stand up against the Word of God. Mm. And with that, I tried to use the Bible as the main author and not myself. And again, the stimulus is to get individuals to realize that Christians have a lot more that they are in agreement with than what they are in disagreement with. Mm. And my goal was, again, to get unity brought back into the body of Christ. Then, Gerald, this is a book primarily for believers. Would non-believers get anything, do you think? Actually, I think they would, because there's so much misteaching out there. I really believe that anyone who's willing to take the time and sit down and read it, it wasn't intended to be a difficult read, but it is a read that you are going to have to stop and think and you know comprehend it before you pr- proceed. Hmm. Gerald, what does your writing background look like? Have you ever done anything like this before? Nothing like this as far as a book. I did uh, do a thesis when I was in grad school, but uh, that, of course, is nothing in comparison to what this book was about. I could imagine this took you an awful long time to write and get published. Is that the case? Basically, I was reinvigorated around the first of last year, and so I had taken all of my notes and all the different thoughts that I've had, and I just sat down and I decided this is now my priority. I'm going to finish it while I'm thinking about it. And uh, I probably had it finished within six months when I actually came down to writing the whole thing. Then after all that time, after all that hard work that you put into it, Gerald, tell me about that moment when the physical copy comes in and you get to hold this book that you made for the first time. My number one feeling, I guess you could say, was relief because this has been something that has been important to me for so many years, and I always wanted to have it completed, and it was just a huge relief that I actually got it finished and got it completed. You know, just like any other goal, once you have a goal, once it's finished, you're just so, I guess you could use the word thrill, that it's done. Hmm. I guess that's basically the best way I could put it. Unity is something that the Christian church is definitely in need of. This book is called Salvation, A Call to Unity. It's written by Gerald R. Wessels, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. It's available everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Gerald, thank you again for joining me, telling me all about salvation, a call to unity. I had a nice time chatting tonight. It's my pleasure, and you have a blessed day. Joining me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Heather Vergalto. Heather, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. You got a new book out, and I love the topic. It's all about rescue dogs. It's called Rescue Me, a story about Bella and Jack's rescue dogs. So, Heather, can you tell me what readers can expect here? Well, it's a children's book, and basically it's a journey of two dogs You know, one I rescued and one my boyfriend rescued, and we all kind of came together and just the love and joy that they have brought us. And it's just amazing how wonderful rescues are. I've had them before. So basically, it's about them, and hopefully, I'll be able to write another one, you know, keep going and write the next one about their journey and what we do and and the love they have to give back. Hmm. Heather, what was the spark that made you think, hey, I got to sit down and write this book? 
actually it started off 10 years ago. I, you know, I was really worried about, you know, how this would work out, you know, it just grabbing one dog from one rescue, another dog from one rescue. Mm. And it would just amaze me the relationship that not only did the two dogs have for each other, and they didn't even live in the same household at first, you know, we were <laughs> different places and they would both kind of, you know, get upset not to see each other. You know what I mean? So I was like, wow. I was like, man, this would make a good book. And, you know, the more I see online, the more I see, you know, out there, sometimes you don't realize there's such a huge need for adoption of these pets, you know, of, of rescue pets. You know, I kind of led towards the children because I have grandchildren now. But it's something that I've wanted to do for 10 years. And I just, once I moved, I said, you know what, I got some time. Let's do it now. <laughs> Is this the first time you've written or been published, Heather? Yes. Yes. Congratulations. Got to be a great feeling. It is. It is. I just didn't think it would ever come to light. And I kind of didn't know how to get to that point. So it took me a little while. But once I got determined, I just kept going ahead. I imagine it was crazy then when you got the first physical copy of this in. You actually got to hold this thing, you know, that you've been working on for so long. <laughs> what was that like? Yeah, it was pretty amazing because I, when I reached out to the one publisher I did, I wanted more of like an animated book, but I wanted to make them not so cartoony, but look realistic. And, and they pretty much nailed it, especially mm. with my tan dog. So it's like, oh, like, there they are. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I keep telling them, like, oh, not that they ever will, but I'm hoping. I said, someday you guys will be famous. You know, that's my, at least I could leave a legacy in this world, too. You mentioned hoping to write more of these. Do you have them planned out or are you just kind of waiting? No, I have them planned out. I have the second one written already, but I'm waiting to see. I just wanted to see how this one would do. It wasn't really about, you know, okay, I'm going to be a famous author. It's more about let's try to get this book out to children to give them a different perspective on, you know, rescue dogs or, you know, even not as a child, but even when they get older and as, mm. as an adult, maybe just putting that in their mind as an option. And I love what you're doing. Not only are you raising awareness about the wonderfulness and how much love that rescue animals have, but you're also making people aware of how much of a need that shelters and places like that, they, they need resources. Exactly. And, um, you know, that's the thing I figure, too, once this goes on, I mean, hopefully I'll, I'll be able to even, I mean, I know I'm trying to get the Facebook page up and Instagram, but I'd like to share the links constantly of rescues that need help or that reach out to me. Mm. I actually reached out to the publisher because I want to send copies, you know, around just for people to donate, you know, at a local shelter or you adopt a dog, you get a book type of thing, you know. Mm. That's my goal. That's my end goal. <laughs> now, when you look back over it all now, what's the most rewarding aspect for you of now being a published author? You know, it's one thing I'm, I'm happy I decided on something. I put my mind to it and I mm. did it. It's just a journey, you know, and a growing experience for myself. And I just hope to, you know, do some good in the world. Well, this sounds like a truly wonderful book. I think a lot of people are going to enjoy it. And it's so important. Rescue animals, rescue dogs need us. They need our love and they need our resources. Check this book out. It's titled Rescue Me, a story about Bella and Jack's rescue dogs. It's written by Heather Vergalto. It's published by Covenant Books. And you can pick it up everywhere. So get on Amazon, go down to Barnes & Noble, get on iTunes, or take a walk down to your local bookshop, and it'll be right there for you. Heather, what a joy it's been having you on the show, learning about your work, everything you're doing for rescue animals. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much.
Sitting down here right beside me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Thomas Greaves. Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Oh, it's great to be here. Well, it's great when you have a new book out in stores, and you do. It's called Go, Set a Watchman. Can you tell me all about this? What can readers expect here? Yeah, it's finding and answering the, the call on my life. I was a career military guy for uh, you know, 21 years and didn't realize at the time what it was all about, but I just felt, felt the call you know, to serve in that way. And then uh, after I got out, it's like, well, you know, I asked God, I said, well, what's next? And he gave me a, an answer that uh, I was supposed to be a watchman. And that's how he uh, manifested that with me. But you know what the Hebrew trumpet is? The Hebrew trumpet is a, the actual name is shofar. It's a carved out of a antelope horn and hollowed out. And the uh, Jewish people have used that for ever since Mount Sinai mm. in the desert and then their migration over to Israel. They've always used that as a, uh, it's a, really a symbol of the watchman. The watchman mm. would sound the alarm with that trumpet that they use. And, you know, from mountaintop to mountaintop, they would sound the alarm to say an invading army or a disaster is coming, or just to send a message, you know, to be alert, to be aware. So that's where it came from. It's, it's a hollowed out horn, and it can be as small as like maybe eight inches all the way up to, you know, almost three feet. <laughs> Thomas, what kinds of readers were you speaking to here? I'm looking at the ones who are largely, I guess, religious people, believers, that would know of uh, how Israel and America are, are tied in to each other. That's the audience I'm addressing. I'm addressing everybody to believe in, in, in this God that we believe in and to explain why, you know, he's just the king of the universe. Yeah, I just implored the people. It's like the large portion of the book is like to call people to action. Like, let's say, you know, all of us need to pray more. All of us need to praise more you know, and stuff like that. So it's a it's a exhortation to answer your calling. Everyone that is a believer has a God-given calling, and even unbelievers have that calling, but it's manifested if you're, you know, a believer in God. But yeah, all of us have a, have a calling, and it's, it's discovering that calling. And I didn't discover my calling until after I'd finished serving the Air Force. I didn't realize, uh, I just had this burning desire to serve in the military, and, and I loved working on airplanes and things like that. And then I, after I got out, I said, God, what, what's next? And he soon sent me to a church, and it happened to have people blowing these strange shofar trumpets. And mm. I said, oh, oh, I, I got to blow this thing. I got to sound <laughs> it, you know? And it was just in, inside me that just like, I got to do it. And so for the last 10 years, I've been doing just that. And God has uniquely blessed me in so many ways. And that's why we're talking today is because I filled a book with how much God has done with me and through me as an open instrument, if you will. Mm. Thomas, before this, what's your writing background looked like? Have you written or published before? You know what? I've been wanting to write for years probably within the last 10 years or so. Mm. And, you know, with, with work that I, that I had at the time, I just never had time to write. And I was just like, oh, I want to write. And my life stories were, were starting to pile up. And said, man, I need to tell people, you know, what God has done done with me. Mm. And uh, at the point of, oh, within the last three years, 
I think God was trying to position me to like just say, let the traditional jobs go, and I want you to stay, uh, you know, at home and and write. Is mm. pretty much what I got. So. <laughs> well, we all do have a God-given calling, and this book is going to help you get a little bit closer to figuring that out. It's called "Go Set a Watchman." It's written by Thomas Greaves. It's published by Covenant Books. And you can get it everywhere. So log on to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes or take a walk down the street to your local bookshop and you'll be able to find this there. Thomas, it's been great having you on the show and hearing all about your work. I had a nice time talking tonight. It was great talking to you as well. I'd like to welcome back to the Reader House Author Roundtable, author Tina Bybee. Tina, welcome to the show. Good to be talking with you again. Well, thanks for inviting me to talk with you. It's my pleasure. The first time around, it was a Christmas book, our special Christmas tree. That was your first one. But now you have another one out. It's called Addie, Maddie, and Maya, The Gifting Boots. Yes. Tina, can you tell me about this one? Addie, Maddie, and Maya, The Gifting Boots is about three close cousins who enjoy spending time with their family. They are gathering with their family at their grandmother's house for Easter dinner. And after dinner, the grandmother sits down with her Bible and reads about different events in Jesus's life, which correspond with the gifts from her as as she presents it to each of the children. And what sorts of children did you have in mind? What age range do you think would be best? Well, the age range could be preschool to second grade. The book can actually be read to preschool children. Hmm. And Tina, where did the inspiration for this come from? How did you get the idea for this story? Well, actually, one of my granddaughters came up with the title of the book, and she actually helped me with the idea as well. How long of a process was this for you once you got that idea and started sitting down, writing it, and hammering this out? Well, actually, from start to finish, I think it took basically about a year. Now, compared to your first book, Our Special Christmas Tree, was this one easier, being that you've done it before? Yeah, actually, I think it was a little bit easier. It seems like once you publish one book and then you start writing, it seems like it's it's just a continuous cycle that you can just keep writing. (laughs) Mm. Man, does that ever get old for you, Tina? Whenever you get that first copy in, you see that book for the first time? Oh, it was exciting. It was very (laughs) exciting to get the copy. (laughs) So this is book two. Now you're thinking of book three, writing more in the future? Yes, actually, I have published eight children's books, and I do have a I do have another one that I'm working on, so I do have hopes of publishing many more. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. And I'm sure you've learned an awful lot along the way of doing this, Tina. So considering all you've been through and everything you've learned from publishing so far, what advice could you give to people out there listening who want to start publishing themselves? Well, the the very first thing that actually helped me is joining a group that's on like Facebook or any social media platform. Mm. If you have support from other authors, that really does help. And then you can ask a lot of questions. What happens if you get stuck for ideas? What if you want to write, but you don't know where to go next or you don't even know what to write about? Tina, how do you get your ideas? Well, I actually get my ideas from my grandchildren. I observe them and follow their interests. And then if I see something that, oh, this will be a great story, I'll just write it down in my journal. So it's actually a great idea to keep a journal so that you can jot ideas down. Absolutely. Tina, do you have a daily routine for writing, like maybe writing in the morning or writing at night? Or do you just find yourself writing whenever you're inspired or whenever you find that time? 
Yes, when when I find the time and when I am inspired by an event or something, then I'll just run in the house and just write it down. <laughs> <laughs> With children's books, you know, we've talked about the illustrations and how you've got to write the book, but then you have to illustrate it. You have to visually interpret that story. Tina, how challenging is that for you? That is very challenging. It's it's a little bit of a process. I am not an artist myself, so it takes some time to actually sketch out some ideas and try to come up with some, some ideas. But eventually it does. It comes through. It works out. <laughs> <laughs> now, Tina, it's obvious that you love to write and you just love doing this. For you, what's the most rewarding thing about it all? The most rewarding is watching the expressions on children's faces when I read the books to them. Their smiles are priceless. Tina, when it comes to the kinds of things that you create, who inspires you? You know, I know you have strong relationships in your family. Are there any others who have a big impact on your life? Yes, actually, I'm a paraprofessional, so I work in a preschool, and a lot of those children actually inspire me. I mean, just working with them daily, there is so much inspiration. I think children and some adults will really love this book. I encourage my listeners to go check this out. It's titled Addie, Maddie, and Maya, The Gifting Boots. It's written by Tina Bybee. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing, and you can grab it everywhere. So get on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes or take a walk down the street to your local bookshop, and you'll find this there. Tina, it's been great talking with you again. I hope we get to do it again soon. Oh, thank you. It's been great talking to you. Family, Traditions and Celebrations Throughout the Year. It's the name of the new book, just came out, written by Sheila Kovach. And Sheila's right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. We're going to talk all about the book. Sheila, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. This is really exciting. Family, Traditions and Celebrations Throughout the Year is in stores now. Sheila, what can readers expect when they open this up? Well, I'm a Christian fictional short story collection writer, so all my stories in my books have a common theme, and a reader can be inspired to read short stories because it's a little bit different than a novel because you can read a short story and put it away for a bit and then go back and the next story is completely different. They're all individual stories based on individual storylines. And I enjoy doing that kind of stuff. So far, this is my second book. Oh, wonderful. Well, how did this collection of short stories come together? Where'd you get the idea? How are you inspired? Well, I wrote my first book, Hello, Everyone Has a Story, and it was about meeting people on the walking path. This one came together because I had a lot more stories to tell. Mm. And being as I'm the age that I am and growing up in a large family and having had a large family, I felt that I had some really humorous and interesting stories that I can infuse with moral and a value or thought-provoking idea that my Christian readers and my baby boomer readers would enjoy. One of the main emphasis, and it's on the back of the book, is that we make families throughout our lives, and not everybody stays as tight with their blood family as the families they make in their life, whether it be your church family or your work family or the people you have something in common with. There are a lot of stories in the book about these untraditional kind of families, but that's just the way we are in our lives. Sheila, what does your writing background look like? Have you done this much throughout your life? No, I didn't even write until I was 60 years old, even though I was interested in writing. 
I just felt motivated and pushed to do it. And I, I kept thinking of these stories in my head and I finally decided to put them down on paper. And as I began to write, I created more and more stories and my husband and my daughter indicated that, hey, mom, if you just write a few more stories, maybe you could make enough for a book. Hmm. How long of a time frame are we talking about from when you first decided, hey, I'm going to sit down and start writing clear up until you got to put the books together? Well, it took a little bit to put the first one together, but it came together a lot more quickly than the second book. The second book, well, I'll just say this, I'll be 66 in August. So in the six-year span, I've, I've got completed two books, but I've actually written 78 stories. Wow. Because there's 40 stories in the first book, and there's 38 in the family. It took a long time for finding a publisher because I was unknown. Hmm. I've put myself in a very special niche because I'm a Christian writer. I'm also a short story collection writer, but they're fictional. My stories are very similar to chicken soup from the soul kinds of stories that are in those books. Even though those are all true stories, mine are fictional, but it has the same flavor. Mm, I love it. Sheila, do you think you'll be writing, releasing a third book? I do have the outlines for several stories for a third book. I'm kind of interested in doing the third book. I mostly write in the winter time, so I probably won't be putting a whole lot together this summer because my husband and I do a lot of stuff. We travel a lot and we do a lot of things. We live in wonderful Wyoming, and believe me, we're out in the country all the time. We're either mushroom hunting or horn hunting or we're regular hunting or just sightseeing and scouting for animals and those kinds of things. It's the wonderful opportunities we have living in Wyoming. So I probably won't really sit down and get real serious about it until later, once winter comes. Well, I think a lot of readers are going to love the positivity in this book, and I encourage everyone out there to go check it out. The title is Family, Traditions and Celebrations Throughout the Year. This is written by Sheila Kovach. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing, and it's available everywhere. So go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes or your local bookstore, and you'll be able to find this there. Sheila, it's been great talking with you tonight. Thank you so much again for joining me. Well, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to tell my stories and to let others know that it's available for them to also maybe possibly sit down and write some stuff about their families and their traditions and celebrations. The Coach as a Leader. That's the name of the new book. It just hits stores. It's written by Christina Bihar. And Christina is sitting down right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. We get to talk all about this book. Christina, welcome to the show. I really appreciate you being here today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. It's my pleasure to have you here. Christina, what can readers expect when they open up The Coach as a Leader? What's this all about? This book is all about, it's a discussion between a leader and a subordinate. And she is preparing him to become a leader himself. So it's an analogy between coach of a team of horses. And actually, it's really a simplistic overview of what it means to lead a team. Christina, it's really interesting that you use that analogy, the coach and his team of horses. How did you get that idea? Well, I'd been teaching it for around 18 years during my leadership consulting, training sessions for supervisors and managers, and 
it always brought up a response of positivity, you know, that they had such a deep insight on what it means to be a leader, really. Sometimes we overlook terms like what does it mean to be a supervisor or what does it mean to lead a team? What does it mean to be an autocratic leader or someone who cares for his team? Christina, what does your writing background look like? Have you ever written or published before? I wrote poetry a long time ago. I was published as one of the world's best poets, but Hmm. I stopped writing poetry and focused instead on business and leadership. How long did the coach as a leader take you to write once you started getting down and writing it? You won't believe me. It (laughs) took me 20 minutes. Wow. How is that possible? (laughs) Because I've been talking about it for 18 years. So sitting down and writing it was really quite simple. It was very easy. It just flowed. I can only imagine when you got that first copy and you got to hold this thing in your hands for the first time that you've been working so hard on, Christina. What was that moment like for you? Oh, it was amazing. Seeing it in full color with the illustrations of Earl John Desocito, my artist, Mm. and reading through, wow, I I can't describe it. I'm so excited. (laughs) It's a beautiful book. It is. You mentioned the illustrations, and they are quite beautiful. How did that kind of thing come about? My artist was my student when I was still teaching at university a long time ago. Hmm. He was a fine arts student, and I contacted him, and I gave him the a copy of the manuscript, and he drew them according to his interpretation of the story itself. So when he came back to me with the illustrations, I was blown away and I said, wow, wow. (laughs) Together with the story and the illustrations, this one is going to be a good one. It's going to be a great book. What are the chances that you'll be writing more and we'll see more from you published in the future? I'm thinking of writing another book soon. But maybe it'll take another year. (laughs) It's still forming in my mind. The process of writing and publishing your first book can be quite the learning process, Christina. Did you pick up anything along the way that you could offer as advice to authors just starting out? I think if you have an idea that you are truly passionate about, that you should sit down and write it and share it to the world. You know, my take on this is that every person has a story to tell. Hmm. And if it is just even one simple story to tell, tell it, because the world will benefit from it. I know a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this book, and I encourage those listening out there to check it out. It's titled The Coach as a Leader. It's written by Christina Bahar and is published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can find it anywhere, like on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Christina, I really appreciate you coming on the show and telling me all about your work. I had a great time talking with you tonight. Thank you so much, Corey. It was my pleasure. You know, we don't have control over everything that happens to us in our lives, but we do have control over how we respond to those things. And that's the basis of the book we're talking about here right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. It's called That I May Know Him, 
It's written by Grace Peeler, and Grace is sitting right next to me now, and we get to talk all about this book. Grace, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. Can you tell me all about That I May Know Him? What can readers expect here? The book is directed toward chronic pain or just chronic illness in general and how it can shape our faith if we allow God to use what we are going through to make us more into His image. Hmm. That's kind of, I guess, the audience for the book, but I have come to realize over time that it can also apply to other circumstances as well besides chronic illness and pain. Grace, what sparked the inspiration for the book? I was actually asked to start writing weekly devotionals a few years back for a Facebook group with, there was several thousands of people that have the same chronic pain condition that I have. Mm. And the creator of the group asked me to start writing some devotionals to share my thoughts about the things that God was teaching me. And after a few weeks of doing that, I had a few people reach out to me and They told me that if I kept writing and turned it into a book, that they would really love that and they would buy it. And so after a lot of prayer, I just, I kept writing and with leading from the Lord, it it just, it became a 40-day devotional book. Hmm. How much writing experience did you have before you started writing these? When it comes to books and stuff and professionally, not a whole lot. I I mean, I did writing in school. I had always thought it would be cool to write a book, but mostly it became something that I would just pray and ask God to show me what to write. How long of a time period are we talking about here once you started writing things and then you decided to make a book out of it? How long are we talking? It was probably a couple of years. There was a period of time where I had stopped writing and wasn't sure if I would finish. I experienced the loss of my father in June of 2020. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that kind of really brought the writing to a halt, and it took several months before I felt like I could even continue it again. So with that in mind, it took probably at least a couple of years to finish it completely. What did you find to be the most challenging thing about the publishing end of it once you got your manuscript approved and started going through all those hoops? Was there anything especially challenging for you? It wasn't too bad. Christian Faith Publishing made the process pretty easy for me. I mostly, once I knew that I was getting close to wanting to submit my manuscript, I started just researching a lot of Christian publishing companies. I narrowed it down a lot with the ones who weren't accepting new authors at the time. And God kind of directed my search towards Christian Faith Publishing, and I just reached out to them and got into contact with some really encouraging people and just went from there. Grace, can you tell me about what you were feeling, what was going through your head when you finally got that first physical copy and you get to hold your book for the first time? Oh, boy. There was a lot of emotion, for sure. One of the first things that came to mind was wishing that, you know, my dad could be here to see it. He was always really proud of the writings that I was doing and really enjoyed them. And so it was it was definitely an emotional time. I was also still in a little bit of disbelief that, like, hello, I'm now a published author. I'm holding my own book in my hand. It was it was a roller coaster of emotions, and it took a few days to kind of sort through all of it. It was it was really good, though. It was a really good feeling. Wow. And what have you found to be the most rewarding aspect of now being a published author? I think it's just hearing of the ways the people in my life that have started reading it and just hearing of the ways that it's blessing people. Mm. 
My journey with chronic pain began a little over eight years ago, and I never imagined God using my pain in a way that would bless other people. And so for me, it's just been hearing from people who have started reading the book. Well, I know that a lot of people are going to be blessed and helped by this book. It's titled, That I May Know Him. It's written by Grace Peeler, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing, and you can grab it up everywhere. Go to Amazon, go to Barnes & Noble, go to iTunes, or take a walk down the street to your local bookshop, and you'll find it there. Grace, thank you for coming on the show, telling me about your work. It was a really great time tonight. It was really great. Thank you for having me. I'd like to welcome back to the Reader House Author Roundtable, author Mark Ira Krausman. Mark, thanks for being here again. It's great to talk with you. Yeah, thank you for having me, Corey. Absolutely. I was really excited to talk with you again. You got a sequel to the first book we talked about. This one's Penelope's Plateau of Life and the View of Love of Look. Mark, what's in this one? Well, you know, the first book was A Day in a Life, and that was Lord Knows That Little Bird Friend of Mine, if you remember. Mm. They were very young children. The second book is the sequel, and it's The Life Lived. You know, people ask me about the title. Penelope's Plateau of Life and the View of Love of Look. You know, there's many lessons in life, and sometimes those lessons can be hard. And so, you know, for our listeners, Penelope's Plateau of Life, I think there's, there's a point in life, you know, where you have to make the right decision. You have that choice, you know, and that will come again and again and again. The view, you know, really is that decision you made that follows. You know, love has a look to it, Corey. You always want to be that loving look. And so that decision that the plateau, wherever you may be in life, if you make the right decision, you take a step back and take a deep breath. You know, the view that you will take in will be the view that you are to have. And so to my readers, that is what my second book is truly all about. How long after the first one did you start on this one? Was this just a natural progression? Yeah, you know, as soon as... I've been writing for about three years straight, and uh, as soon as you finish one and it goes to editing and through illustration, or you're on the second one, you know, because it's just the path that you walk on. It's all in transition. I'm very, very blessed to have accomplished this. You know, of course, I don't do it alone. I, I believe that, you know, the Holy Spirit guides you to do these things, of course. What kinds of readers do you have in mind for these books, Mark? You know, I'm excited to tell everyone, Corey, that part of being out in all brick and mortar stores and things, you know, there's a genre of the people that you want to attract. But my writings, you know, really are for children. And, you know, 14, the second book had progressed where the main characters went through high school. But I think all people can take something away from this. And uh, about 14 to 16 in that area from 8 Seven, eight, uh, 16, I would think, but everybody can take something away from what I write. Hmm. What are the chances, Mark, that this will be a trilogy? Have you thought of another sequel? No, we've already moved on to another book now. The release of the Penelope's Plateau of Life and the View of Love of Look, we're on the verge of that. But hmm. I have already written my third, Corey. That's in editing and illustration now, and I have already really thought of the fourth one. So we're just moving forward. That's wonderful. You're awful productive. Do you ever run out of ideas? No, as a matter of fact. (laughs) I think what I run out of, like a lot of people in life, is time, you know? (laughs) So many ideas, so little time. Yeah. 
And does it get old for you, Mark, whenever you get that first copy in of that book you've been working so long and hard on and you get to hold it? I mean, what's that feeling like? Well, it's just a tremendous accomplishment because, like I said, it's a calling. Anybody who has a passion in life, you know, being a painter or a sculptor, you know, you have a vision. And there's really nothing more rewarding than seeing the fruits of your labor. Mm. And this just so happens that it really isn't about myself. It's about doing this for our readers, and I believe that I'm doing this for the Lord, you know. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the publishing end of things, there are a lot of hoops you've got to jump through that maybe a lot of authors who are starting out aren't quite aware of. What advice would you offer? Are there any warnings you could give to authors who might not be fully aware of what they're getting into when they get into the publishing thing? You just have to be patient. These things take time. Mm. You submit your manuscript, of course, it comes back and you, you look at the editing and you see where you made some mistakes and give the suggestions and just be patient and eventually it'll all, it'll all unfold for you. But be happy and humble because it is such a blessing to, to do what your passion is, you know. Indeed it is. Well, I think readers are going to love this book. I encourage everyone to check this out and the first one as well. This one's called Penelope's Plateau of Life and the View of Love of Look. It's written by Mark Ira Krausman. Of course, you can get it everywhere, like at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere. Mark, thanks again for joining me again here and telling me about your work. I can't wait till we can do this again. Thank you so much, Corey, for having me. Right now, here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, I'm joined by author Patricia Friedberg. Patricia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. It's really exciting that you have a new book out. It's called Letters from Wanky. Patricia, what's this book all about? This book is about when I was a very young woman in England where I was born. I come from London, as you can probably tell. <laughs> and I married a South African, and we left for Africa the day after we got married. And I was all of 19, 20 years old. And we went to Johannesburg where the apartheid was in full force. Mm -hmm. I didn't like it. I didn't want to be part of it. And my husband, who was a cardiologist, a doctor, but also of general medicine, got a position in a place called Wanky, which is in the middle of nowhere in what was then southern Rhodesia. It is now Zimbabwe. And it's about 50 miles from Victoria Falls, and it's on the edge of a game reserve. And when we were there, it was, to say the least, primitive, mostly tribal. And because of the mines, it had small European, European by then, I mean, white population who dealt with the mining side of it. My husband was very busy as a doctor, and I was a bit confused about where I was. And we were given two mud huts to live in. Wow. Remember, I'd come from London, and I didn't know what to do with myself. Anyway, I took a walk one day, and you have to remember that being on the edge of a big game reserve, you know, there was often game floating around, too. Mm. And then the fellow came along in a jeep, and he said, were you the doctor's wife? And I said, yes. He said to me, can you type? And I said, yes. And he said, there's a job for you at the Native Commissioner's office and be there Monday morning. And that's how it all began. And I must have written home three or four times a week to my parents. And what was in these letters was what was going on at the Native Commissioner's office, which was very tribal. And I was the only girl there. 
they were all young men from good families in England. I think they were like the aristocrats. They didn't know what to do with them, so they sent them to the colonies. Uh, they were a great bunch of people. And I learned a tremendous amount about Africa, which most born South Africans or reducers could never have known because it was tribal. And I was there for two years and made close friends with the nature commissioners, with the husband. I mean, it was just a remarkable job. But coming to the now, I mean, I, didn't, I haven't thought about it for years. I hadn't. And then when my mother died in London, I came across, I would say, about three or 400 letters. And they all spoke about what was going on in my life in Wanky. Oh, wow. And I was traveling with my agent because we were dealing with one of my books that I'd written before that called 21 Orchid. And then we brought these letters home back to the United States where I was now living and went started to go through the letters. And the memories all came back. And my, my agent said to me, you know, you've got a book here. And I said, I think you're right. <laughs> and that's how the book came about. Hmm. I stood outside who that person was in that book and realized what a wonderful experience it was and how much history was in it and how much truth was in it. And how much the colonials, who always have a terribly bad name, especially the British, have done or did do at that time, or mm. tribal Africans who had in medicine, in, in agriculture, in every part of their life. And I became, at a very young age, I mean, that's where I learned the facts of life. That's, I mean, you just have to read the book to believe it. Mm. And it doesn't happen anymore. So it's history. It's geography, and it's true. This is titled Letters from Wanky. It's written by Patricia Friedberg, and it's published by Newman Springs Publishing, and you can get it everywhere. Get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes, or also at your traditional brick-and-mortar store. Patricia, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you so much for telling me all about your work. It's my pleasure, and I just want to let you know that not one word of those letters is untrue. It's a mm. pure factual account of what happens when Europeans help tribal Africans, not hinder. I think that is very important. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Patricia. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Podserve, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. 